Shut up and sit down. I lost the pod. I lost. The, well, good lord, as I, <laughs> I had, I had lost the chat room. I found it, <laughs> and I had lost the dashboard, and I found that too. But I'm still kind of stuck on the chat room. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, wow. <laughs> Uh, I posted my um, my banners for uh, Rough Trade um, July 2018 on Facebook. I have them public currently, so even if you're not my friend, and I don't know why you wouldn't be my friend on Facebook, um, unless you don't have a fandom Facebook. And if you don't have a fandom Facebook, why the hell don't you have a fandom Facebook? It's more entertaining than your real one, I assure you. Anyways. You can see them on my um, page, I mean, on my um, timeline on um, Facebook under Kara Marcos, and they're currently public. Anyways, anyways, I have got tea and popcorn, and we're gonna we're gonna break down um, some stuff in fandom tonight, uh, and and we're gonna get started. And Jilly's gonna be my guest because she's got some stuff to say, and. Um, I I want you guys to know that that short pitch I'm required to put on all my podcasts that only gets like put on iTunes maybe and it might end up on other blog apps I don't know anyway I put P A R dash D I G dash U M as my short pitch that's right Paradigm I know it said Paradigm okay I know but that's what I put on my short pitch Paradigm. I'm not even I'm not even ashamed of myself. I'm, I'm gonna get Julie on the phone before I go off on a tangent about Paradigm and how um, funny I thought that commercial was when it first came out. You know, when I first saw the short when I first first saw the short pitch, I I put my hand up and I went, "Fetch me my Paradigm," <laughs> like some sort of <laughs> despot or something. My sister was like, "What is the matter with you?" <laughs> You can't explain fandom to someone who's not in fandom. <laughs> no, truly, truly. <laughs> Fetch me. <laughs> but no, I did. I sent um, Julie a picture of uh, the the short pitch. <laughs> I heard a screenshot. I need it. Because it amused me. It, it was. It, it, you need the visual. You know, you need the visual. Yeah. <sighs> anyways, anyways, um, um, we're gonna talk about the fandom paradigm, and um, I put a definition for paradigm in um, in the the podcast window, not because I assumed anybody wouldn't know it, but I do have um foreign language um. 
people who don't have English as their first language uh, readers and listeners and fans. And I just wanted to make it easier for them to, to catch on to what we're talking about. And so um, I don't want to get any snotty, snotty emails telling me that I was that I'm talk, talking down to my audience because I'm not. I was just trying to make it easier for people who um, don't have English as their first language. I'm just saving them a trip to the dictionary. Because it isn't a word that gets used a lot in everyday conversations. I mean, I can't, I think today is the first time I've used it outside of a conversation where I talked about words that I had a hard time pronouncing when I was a child. (laughs) In like probably years. So if don't, don't, don't send me any snotty emails. Because if you do, I'm going to assume you're stupid and didn't know what it meant. I'm just. I worked I worked in an industry for a while where it was almost a buzzword. Um, mm-hmm. It got really overused, so you'd hear it multiple times a day. It was like somebody started using paradigm one day, and it's like next thing you know, everybody was using it. And um, but outside of work, it's not, it, it isn't a word that I I see come up very often. So somebody who isn't uh, a native speaker, I could see how they might not have run into that word before. So I was just trying to help them out because I do know that I have a large demographic in Europe, um, in Russia specifically, which is kind of weird, and um, Germany is pretty big, uh, France and Britain and Europe, of course, um, and uh, there's some places in Africa and Australia. I assume that Australia would know what Paradigm is, but like I said, I do have uh, Singapore. I do have listeners in other countries who who might not um, who might have heard the word but might have never seen it spelled as well. So don't assume I'm talking down to my audience because I've had that happen to me before and um, it's just ugly. But you know, I have often um, in work situations seen people use the word wrong. And you know how hard it is not to correct somebody? They use a word wrong like that. I mean, it's just like it's not even an everyday word that you would put into a conversation. So they have inserted it into the conversation to appear intelligent, but they have used it wrong. (laughs) But I didn't. I'm not one of those people. I am. No, I mean, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I knew that about you, actually. <laughs> I do not think that means what you think it means. <laughs> None of this means what you think it means. <laughs> but we also have the fandom paradigm, and this is actually something um, that we've talked about before, but never particularly in this particular frame um in that fandom is is uh creates um we talk about the fandom mob mentality and when you when you buck the uh the established fanon what happens to you and fanon is a paradigm it um there is a uh expectation from your reader from lots of readers that if you fail to meet it um, they'll get very aggressive with you. 
and that is a that is a fandom paradigm that that we have that we work with um, as writers every day. Let me read a different definition of paradigm from Dictionary.com, um, and I'm going to okay. change one word. I'm going to do one word substitution for fandom. Okay, and it says a framework containing the basic assumptions, ways of thinking, and methodology that are commonly accepted by members of a fandom community. Let's put that in the description. Copy and paste that for me. All right. Except swap, swap out the word scientific for, for fandom. Um, so when you think about it that way, that every that both fandom as a whole and individual fandoms can have like a sort of a sub their own paradigm that kind of evolves separately but it's basically when you're talking about it a common a common it is it is assumptions um a thinking methodology so it could be anything from the whole notion of have a beta you know um some fandoms um uh, the whole the whole notion of that you have to accept concrete. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that go into what you walk into fandom, what might already be there. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with it. It doesn't even mean it's not like that. There's it's not like you're paying dues and agreeing to a set of rules. These are not rules. They are assumptions and ways of thinking um, that have evolved into what you're walking into, but there's no code of conduct, you know? There's some basic, in terms of fandom, basic um, tenets. What in the world was that racket? Um, there are some basic tenets that are, um, that are rules, like you can't make money on fandom and, and that kind of thing. So when you, but aside from that, um, it's not like That's it's cool. a, I added it. It's not like a, huh? I added it. I was, I was talking. About, I was okay. praising myself. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it's not like there are a set of rules that you're you're signing a contract that you are going to, um, that you're going to abide by. But that paradigm, the fact that it exists, can be very intimidating and difficult to shake off. And sometimes there are some. It, it, this is where critical thinking comes in. There are some things that are that are good in that. There are some things that came together for good reasons. But sometimes good things evolve into bad things, or they have negative applications that don't work for everybody. So this is a matter of thinking. You know, you don't throw it all out. You have to kind of sit back and evaluate it for where you are. And sometimes that depends upon what fandom you're in, what archive you're posting on. Um, what social groups you're part of, because that all comes into play in the paradigm that you find yourself in and people expecting you to operate under. What I would say is that oftentimes this this um, fandom paradigm, no matter what par- what whatever fandom it is, it um, can be wielded like a weapon. Mm-hmm. Especially by readers and sometimes other authors who who see you doing something that that um, messes with their headcanon or just um, makes them feel like their work isn't valid, and um, they lash out. 
and I've seen, and we've seen that happen. I mean, we've we've talked about it happening with um, various writers in um, in different fandoms. Um, uh, Stargate. Uh, I mean, you know, even I mean, Star- I think Stargate is probably one of the more mature fandoms on online. But even they, I mean, even we aren't immune to that kind of behavior. I mean, we've seen it happen. Um, the Sentinel, Teen Wolf, um, NCIS. Uh, uh, there's a pretty famous example in the NCIS fandom of a of an author being run out of fandom because um, they didn't um, toe the line. Mm-hmm. And when you consider that, I mean, like going back to my X Files days, the the expectations were pretty rigid. I mean, there was a lot. It was, there was a, it, it wasn't even, I can't even say it was all that unspoken, right? Um, because if you, if you broke away from the groups, the group think, um, you got openly criticized for it. So things like, so the paradigm would be like, um, you have to have a beta. You should only post complete works. This was this was the subset of fandom that I was involved in. Uh, female OCs were discouraged. Mary Sue's Mar- no Mary Sue's no self inserts. Um, there was the paradigm included. And any female to... OC would be considered a self insert. Exactly. Um, and any um, you had to warn for a certain set of things. Warnings were mandatory. And I don't have a problem with some of these things, but others I had an issue with. Right. So. Um, also, it was like you weren't allowed to flame people, but you were allowed to provide constructive criticism, and that included their use of female OCs. So there were all of these like unwritten rules, you know, that weren't really all that unwritten since if you broke them, actually sometimes they were written because sometimes it'd be in the group rules, you had to do some of these things. So um, do I think it's a good idea to have a beta? Sure. Do I think you need one? No. We've talked about that. Um, do I think that you should have, you know, female OCs should be fine? If you want a female OC, you should have female OCs. If you want to marry Sue, own that you like writing Mary Sue. If you want to self-insert, I'd prefer that you tell me that's what you're doing. But go for it. Do You do you. Um, do I think you should do Mary one? Sue yes, in the Chamber of Secrets. You go right ahead. There you go. Have her go fix all of Harry Potter shit. Um, <laughs> do I think that you should you do trigger warnings? Of course I do. Um so things that became advisable started to become rules. And you kind of have this group think mob mentality that developed around that, um, including how certain types of stories were supposed to be approached. This is a weird thing is when it went from, it started really getting invasive into craft. It was like if you were going to write something canon compliant, you had to do it in a certain way. Um, and there was a, a, a like point in time where I was, that I was writing in a group, that I was working in a group, that you were discouraged from writing anything that wasn't canon compliant. And by canon compliant, I mean strictly that you were not changing the events of canon. Um, so it was basically writing in the in-between spaces between episodes or between scenes or whatever. Um, How boring. Yeah, I do find that very tedious. Um but a lot of people like that. Um, 
but I don't think it should be on anybody. If there, and so there's also like there's this supposed understanding about what a genre is, and you know um, how to define. I mean, it's like people keep trying to instead of just and just just saying we don't need this, they keep trying to adjust the paradigm. You know what I mean? They keep trying to add to it, expand it. It's like, well, why shouldn't we just like kind of just rebel, just step outside of the paradigm? You you know you do you is sort of like down with the paradigm. Do you, you know you need to? There's some basics. There are basics. The basics are can't profit from your work and plagiarism is bad. But aside from a few basics that are really kind of are the rules, um, authors need to find their own voice, and they're not going to find that voice when there is this um, oppressive structure. telling them what to do. Demanding that they do something. Mm -hmm. And maybe that helps some writers who are are new and feel like that uh, a rigid environment with a lot of rules will help them. But that needs to be framed a little bit differently, you know? That needs to be really... Yeah, that needs to be... I think think framing it for new writers, an environment for new writers is a different thing than trying to impose rules on a fandom. I, um, you know, the thing is, is I've, I've harped plenty on my experiences with the, with the Sentinel fandom and, and how I, I violated, um, the basic tenets of their paradigm and, um, got, uh, berated by a big name fan, um, <clears throat> supposedly. So uh, it's I could see someone in that position if it, you know, um, me. I was like, yeah, fuck you, and that literally is what I said, fuck you, um, and um, I moved on. But there are plenty of young writers who are not as um, robust in their ability to um to handle that kind of crap and you see them like withdraw and remove themselves from fandom because they've been berated by someone um they think is important which is mm-hmm. why when i was given that ridiculous um status um that i did not ask for and um <laughs> and i still think is ridiculous i i started to curb my behavior a little bit uh, and I became um, militant about how um, people responded to my own work and what I would allow comments to be on my site Um, and I told readers off for comparing other writers to me and finding them lacking and that's where the rules developed for Minion Headquarters and um, my policies on rough trade. It all comes back to that moment when I realized that fandom had given me this this status that I did not want. And, um, and I took responsibility for this crap. <laughs> Because I do think that the big name fan thing is ridiculous. 
Because it's implying that one fan is more important than another, and that's bullshit. I see your sarcasm. I see your sarcasm from space, Dark. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you on the podcast, she said, but Kara, don't you know you have a responsibility to your fans, the people who made demands on you without paying you for the vast work you put into making things they like? (laughs) And I do have some very demanding fans who, who, who treat themselves like customers. I had yeah. someone make a very you know, significant donation to Rough Trade and then demand a copy of everything that was currently published on Rough Trade. Yeah, that's how that works. And I refunded their money and banned their IP address from Rough Trade because I'm not a pimp. <laughs> that's really horrifying behavior. Like what? Because you know I have it's it's really difficult now. There are some people who have gotten around the rough trade um, copyright stuff that I've got on there, you know, to prevent copying. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, uh, but people people have gotten around it, and I, I, I can't control that. You know, it's it's um, if you're really really savvy, you're going to be able to do it. But uh, I make it really difficult on a regular basis. Yeah, any any internet the best internet copy protection can be gotten around, including fanfiction.net is pretty robust and it can be gotten around. So yeah. um and I won't tell anybody how to do that either. Um but I mean I've done it, but just, the thing about the thing about um I mean I have had part of one of the paradigms that sometimes you get is it, something you just said is that you have a responsibility to your readers. Is that as a writer coming into this fandom paradigm, you have a responsibility to your readers. Frankly, even if I was writing original fiction and they were buying my books, other than the responsibility of, there's an, to me there's an implicit contract when you put a book up for sale, is a certain level of attention to grammar, punctuation, and typos, that kind of thing. Other than that kind of... Um, that kind of responsibility. I don't have any obligation to anyone to write. Unless I'm under contract with no, no. a publisher. I have I have no obligation. But the thing is there is this notion and it's pretty it's not it's not unique to fandom because I do see really entitled readers thinking that authors have an obligation to them, like um George R. R. Martin or whomever, that you know, they get really demanding of them. They think that they're owed something. Um but I've seen this phrase, you have a responsibility to your readers. You know, like if you promise you're going to do something, you have to do it. If, you, if you're if you posting every Sunday and then you miss a couple of days, that you're letting your readers down. Um, no. Kiss you just need my to butt. check right out. Do not, <laughs> so, and the thing is, people buy into that. I see that. This, yeah. wasn't, this was really big back when I first got into fandom. Oh, my God. almost It's 20 years this year. Oh, I feel old. I recently celebrated my tenth year in fandom on Facebook. Um, so I don't feel a sense of responsibility to my readers beyond providing a um, website that is readable 
and available because that's what I did. I made myself available, so I make it readable and available. And um, if they have issues with the site, I try to resolve it. If they have mobile issues, I try to resolve it because that's responsibility of a website owner. Um, I do feel a sense of responsibility other writers in the fandom. Um, wherein that I don't allow my readers to in the spaces that I control, I don't allow readers to bash other authors. Um, I have seen instances where I've see, I saw a reader that's very it was very active on my site showing their ass on AO3 and I I was like I want I really, really want to email you. I have your email address. I really want to email you. And I stood on it for a couple of days, and then I did. Because I couldn't stand it. I couldn't. So I told them, you do realize you're being a dick face on AO3 right now, right? You're aware of it? They never responded to me. I went back over to AO3, and all their comments were gone. Do I regret that? No. Nope, not a bit. Do do I think that I maybe I used um, appropriately to censor this reader? No, I don't, because they were outright abusing another author. And if I see you doing that, I'm gonna call you on it because it's just ugly ass behavior, and I don't want to be associated with someone like that. Yeah, that's right. Bye, Felicia. I don't even now they still comment on my site. And I let them through. But if I ever see them doing that shit again, I'm gonna tell them about it again because you know, it just just don't be an asshole. I think people forget sometimes they people need a, some perspective about um what their behavior looks like. You know, they get so caught up in their perspective and their point of view that they don't realize the impact they're having on other people. And sometimes people need a, a wake-up call. And um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's not a bad thing to be given the opportunity to reflect on your behavior and correct it if you can or stop yeah. doing it or whatever. And I'm it, not it's perfect. I've in fandom that I regret. But that's not one of them. Yeah, I've done a couple things I really wish I could go back in time and undo, and there's some things you cannot undo. Um, but, you know, um, but if you can stop your behavior, and sometimes you can't undo what you've done, but sometimes you can stop doing it. And again, but there, there's, some, there's something about the mob mentality that can kind of come up in um, – Online and especially in fandom, you see this, but you see this all online, all over. As people get really worked up, and they're doing what everybody else is doing, and so in, it doesn't it doesn't seem so bad when everybody else is doing it. Um, there had gotten to be one day. I never really liked people getting into it with people on in my reviews. Um, and I actually started, at one point, I started deleting negative reviews 
not to make somebody actually accused me of deleting negative reviews to make my writing look better than it is, which that implies that people are reading my reviews to determine the quality of my writing, which is kind of a bizarre leap, but whatever. Um, and dumb. That's but, a waste of time. But yeah, it is kind of a waste of time. But um, I read reviews I because I want to see what kind of assholes there are. Yeah. So I can judge you. Sometimes, I, every once in a while, I'll be reading something appalling, and I will go read reviews, not because I want people to have said something about it, but just because I'm curious if anybody else said something about that. I won't, but you know, I'm. It's sort of like a train wreck, you know. I'm like, huh. But anyway, that's just kind of like some sort of bizarre kind of Schadenfreude voyeurism thing. I don't know, but whatever it is, it it happens on occasion. But I, people are getting into fights in my reviews, and there are some people who leave negative reviews, especially a couple people that um, like to leave negative reviews on some of my stuff, um, who liked to argue. They didn't want to back down when people tell them they were being an asshole. They liked to present their point of view. And so there were these spats. I mean, I would like go away for a couple of days and come back to a, a full-on you know, knockdown drag out in the comment section. I'm like, what the fuck happened? Well, I was gone. And I appreciate the intent of the people who were rushing to my defense. Um, but I just didn't want, I just didn't want that there. I didn't want people to feel like they needed to defend me, you know? Um, although I appreciate mm-hmm. it, like I said, I appreciate the sentiment, but I don't want people to feel like they needed to be def- uh, needed to be defended. So uh, I didn't want. I started deleting the stuff um, because I just didn't want people to find that stuff. And it was, I think it was also legitimately upsetting them. It was upsetting them a lot. Some people more than others. Um, one of the arguments I remember what. It, they had broken out about, but this person who liked to engage, and she was very condescending and very superior about her opinion and the way she would, it got one of my, you know, readers almost in tears is the way she expressed it to me in email because she wrote me an email and apologized for getting in this fight, and I was like, don't worry about it, but she said she, just, she, said she was almost in tears over the whole thing, and I'm like, well, there's just no point in anybody being that upset about a woman's opinion that I don't ever take seriously, even when she says something nice, because she's such a twat. That's what she does. She just lives <laughs> to go out. She lives to go out and spread her toxic opinions around and watch the fallout, you know? I see her doing it to a lot of authors. So I just... Is she um, and so anybody getting up... Yeah, this is NCIS. And so anybody getting upset over her... Um, shenanigans was just not worth it to me. Um, so I started deleting negative comments in general just so that on AO3. Now, on my site, um, I sometimes do put some of the negative comments through because it's the only way I can reply to them. On AO3, what I would do um, was reply to the person with what if I had anything to say and then delete their comment, saying I'm deleting your comment because, you know, I don't want to upset people or whatever. Because they would then get that email regardless of that. But the only way for me really, really to reply to somebody on my site, except to, except to email them privately, which I've done sometimes, uh, but a lot of comments are left anonymously, is to approve the comment. Um, so depending upon how bad it is, I may approve it and reply to it. If it's kind of mildly egregious, I'll approve it and reply to it. But if it's really obnoxious, I won't. Um, but there have been a couple times, even on my site, that 
like it started to look like it was heading towards fight territory, and then I just stopped approving comments. So, you know, just trying to control. There is one person who will notice sometimes when these kinds of comments come up, and I admit I tend to approve her initial um, slap back on the whole thing because it's funny as hell. So, um, <laughs> it just amuses me. It somewhere. So. Yeah. I'm like, well, if I have to put up with obnoxious assholes, at least I have that. <laughs> Too big to go on Minion Headquarters, as I have to size it down. Azure put a, a meme in the um, chat room I'm going to put on Minion Headquarters after um, um, the podcast. I have to size it down to fit. Yeah, some people, the people, but we we have talked before about the people who feel like their contribution, whether they acknowledge it this way or not, but their contribution to fandom is their opinion. And if they can't give it, they're like not able to participate, apparently. Um, Those of you who post on AO3, they have changed it so you can moderate all comments so you don't have to let anybody comment on your shit. You can put everything on moderation and just walk away. <laughs> just saying. And, and don't think I have not regist- been tempted. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, I, I don't think I have been tempted to turn off comments on my site because I have. Um, because, yes, they are validating, but I've got a couple of thousand to read if I need the validation. So... I- I got plenty of ego feed currently. I could turn off comments <laughs> and be perfectly okay. I've also considered turning them off for rough trade and only allowing likes um, because um, the moderation burden can be pretty extreme. And it was in in April. Um, there were a lot of there were a fuck ton of comments. So I'm sure Jilly has a number. I don't. Um, I do somewhere, yeah. Only for April. I stopped <laughs> counting after April because, you yeah. know, once yeah. the challenge period was over, I was I was less interested in my data. Um, <laughs> and then I had to, well, I had to go back of... and I had to do this nor- normalization oh, yeah. thing. Um, 4,903. And I think we had to delete, like, 40-something, and I can't even tell you how many we edited. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot more than 40. I didn't clean out the trash the whole, the whole month. And we had well, 41 no, when I they, they delete out after 30 days, so we had some oh, in there. Oh, yeah. Okay. The 30 days, yeah. they purge themselves. Okay. So the fact that we had 41 a month in meant that we probably deleted, I would guess, 60 or 70. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That seems more accurate. But I haven't turned off comments on Rough Trade because I know some um, authors um, need that encouragement. 
And I, that's not a judgment. I like comments just as much as the next bitch. I'm just saying that I don't... There's no way to say that without being rude. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Julia, make it make sense. Without <laughs> being rude. Well, it's... it's... Hmm. Um, <laughs> it can be... It... It can be detrimental to your process to need that, but there's nothing wrong with liking it. And if you do need it, that's where you're at now. Maybe someday you won't be at that place where it's necessary. I think for me that it's necessary because I wrote for myself for so long before I ever shared anything. I mean, I've been writing for, oh, good Lord, um, almost 22 years. And I did not show anybody my work Oh, did you do some math here? Hold on. <laughs> that was too much work. That can't be right. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, okay. So the first 17 years that I wrote, I showed nobody. That's not accurate. I have, wait. I think that I got a number wrong here. Hold on. Okay, I've been writing for 31 years. And for the first 17, I didn't share it with anybody. Math has never been my strong suit. Hush your face. <laughs> For all those of you who are laughing currently. I knew one of them was wrong. But yeah, 31 years I've been writing. And um, I didn't really share anything with anybody until I was almost 30. I think that makes a difference when you don't have anybody. um, When you're just kind of plodding along on your own. And then... um, you get your um you, you you get into a headspace where you're ready to share um, you've already worked out all your ego stuff i think yeah i think but i think some people um i think it's also reflection a little bit and this won't apply to everybody but i think sometimes it is a um reflection of experience because um i the first first piece of fan fiction i put up um outside of college i had never let anybody writing classes in school i don't think i'd ever let anybody read my original fiction until i think the first piece actually the first piece of fiction period i let anybody outside of um um a writing class read was that first fan fiction story I posted. So, but it was a complete story. Um, So it was nerve wracking, but it was complete when I posted it. So there was nothing going to derail me on that story by posting it. We've talked about the perils of posting a whip. But I was confident Mm -hmm. um, because I had been writing, I've been doing technical writing at that point. So that was 20 years ago. I've been technical, doing technical writing in some fashion by six years at that point and writing stories at that point, fiction for 13 years, I would guess. 
I'm maybe doing the bath wrong, but whatever. Um, I started writing when I was 12. What's your cell phone um, for? Yeah, well, I started writing when I was started putting <laughs> stories down on paper when I was 12, and I um, was 25-ish when I came into fandom. So um, that's 13 years. Um, of writing stuff down. So the first piece of fiction that anybody really saw outside of a creative writing class was um, that first piece of fan fiction, complete story. So I was used to, the first time I tried writing a whip, I found the feedback while writing to be both exhilarating and disconcerting. Because they get all in your business. Yeah, they do get all up in your business. They, they're, when somebody picks up on the thing you're writing and they understand where you're going and they're giving you feedback on the thing, feedback on the thing you think you're doing well or right, or they're picking up on your nuance or your foreshadowing, it is exhilarating. When they're off track, it's disconcerting to sometimes even demoralizing. Um, so the. I think the potentially the more uncertain somebody is about writing and what they're writing, the more that feedback process is both vital to them and detrimental to them. Yeah. So it it can really encourage them and keep them them going, but when they get the wrong piece of feedback, it can just like make them kind of curl up into a ball inside and not want to keep going. Like going, where did I go wrong? And that's not even in counting the intrusive feedback or the group think about plot direction. That's just somebody who's got oh, their God. plot. Is- or someone who guesses your plot. Yeah. I have replotted a whole novel to not use somebody's comment because they guessed my plot. I had somebody do a really accurate guess on something in in one of the stories and I just it was it was so integral to the story that there was no replotting and I was tempted to do it anyway cuz it was so ugh. I mean that was like I think for me actually think you wait for that comment where they say well oh I'm glad you used my idea Yeah Yeah I actually deleted the comment because it was in April, and they guessed, it was one person had guessed that um, Tom was Merlin reincarnated. And I was was so annoyed. It's a huge spoiler, so I deleted the comment. But I was just so irritated because I was like, oh, that is like the centerpiece of my whole plot. Um. And then, and and actually, I bumped up the reveal of who Harry is because I didn't need that. I didn't want any more wackadoodle guessing going on. Um, yeah, I, it, actually, the people who were guessing wrong didn't bother me. It was the right guess that threw me. So, um, but you know, although I did have one person guess that. Um, when I, re- when I did that reveal, they kind of guessed right out. They just it kind of they replied, and they went, oh, well, I guess. And it was kind of said in a kind of like, oh, well, well, it's so obvious now that Harry is Arthur. And I was like, no. <laughs> no. I saw that I saw that comment. I was like, ha, ha, ha. I know the answer to that, and you're wrong. 
Um, but the guessing is the guessing is very difficult if you're trying to get to a reveal, um, and um, especially if somebody gets it right, it's like, well. So that whole process with a whip, if you're you know posting as you go, um, I think the more uncertain you are in your craft, like for me it can be frustrating, but and gratifying, but it doesn't throw me usually unless I'm just really irritated. Um, but when you're newer and you're a little bit more uncertain, it's more extreme on both ends. It can be so exhilarating and get you right back into writing the next chapter, or it can be so demoralizing you don't write for two or three weeks. So that's something that is really, I can I can see why people who re- really are, that's why I encourage if you're new, Rough Trade is a safe environment for you because we're not going to put through the demoralizing one. So if you need that feedback, and it's not a judgment if you need it, okay? Um, if that's part of your motivation process, um, then it, come do it Rough Trade. It is. it is what it is. Come do Rough Trade. But if, if you want to move into original fiction, I would strongly caution you to learn how to live without it. You need to figure out how to write a story to completion without feedback as you go. Yeah. But if fandom is, is if fandom is your slot and that's where you want to be, then, um, then you know, insulate yourself if you're thrown by negative comment. But if 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 that's part of your if that's part of your cycle and part of your motivation, um, just then then. Factor that in. Know that's part of what you need, and and make it happen as safely as it can for you. Because you don't have to get back to the paradigm thing. You don't have to accept what fandom tells you about what your experience as a writer should be like, and how you have to pander to your readers, or what you have to tolerate from people, or what you have to what you have to agree to accept. You don't have to listen to any of that. And also, I want to say one little thing here. Um, when someone gets out of line with you and they apologize, you are not required to accept their apology. It doesn't make you immature. It doesn't make you um, unreasonable. Um, it doesn't make you uh, an asshole. Sometimes there are people that are so toxic that it doesn't matter how sincere their apology is, their behavior is never going to be acceptable. And it is perfectly okay for you to say no, fuck you, bye. This applies across your whole life, whether they are related to you or not. If there is someone in your life who is continuously disrespecting you and apologizing afterward and assuming that you're going to accept it, you can dig this, dig deep, and and let and let yourself know that you don't gotta. There's this, especially for women. There is there is this social paradigm that says we we have to be gracious and accept apologies and forgive people. No, you don't. You have to be nice. No, you, you don't. Be nice. <laughs> 
And it is true in fandom, you know, if, if someone fucks you over or mistreats you and then apologizes later, you don't got to accept it. Because self-care is a thing. Well, but, you know, there's there's that... <laughs> Sometimes accepting apology, people tend to go with that forgive and forget mentality. It's fine to forgive somebody, forget. but you're an idiot if you forget. You, I mean, you're a fucking fool if you forget. Right? So Yeah, I mean, yeah, you um, can't forgive somebody, but don't ever trust them the same way again. Well, I'm saying you don't have to. That's not true. She's just lying through her teeth. She's just the nicest little old church lady you ever met. We actually have. We actually have. We have. We have situational niceness. It's like when there are problems that need to be like dealt with in some fashion. It doesn't come up often, but it's like it's whose 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 niceness niche is this? (laughs) And Azra is very nice in some circumstances. Ash, can you email this person and tell them they can't post this shit in Minion headquarters? Because if I do it, they'll probably cry. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that has actually been said in the private chat. She can have a very deft touch with people she likes. Now, she doesn't like you. <laughs> no, she doesn't do nice. <laughs> That's true, Lady, lady Holders. Lady Holders. And there's this funny perception Um what did somebody tell me once? This perception that Lady Holder was the nice one. And I just, I almost, I almost like snorted my water. I was so startled. I was like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Lady my she's, she's terrible she's way to college when I was little would be like, I know you're sorry, and then walk away. Even to adults. I was like a little lawyer about apologies. I'd be like, well, are you going to do it again? Well, are you going to do it again? Well, I get the bit, I don't know. Well, then you don't mean it, do you? And your apology I wanted, is not I wanted here. I wanted terms and conditions of the apology. What does you <laughs> is, is this remorse? Are you remorseful for your bad behavior? I want to understand what you're apologizing for, or are you just apologizing because I got upset? And inevitably, uh, most of the time, especially with my family, is well, I'm sorry that you took what I did, that you got upset by what I did. Well, you don't have to apologize for my emotional reaction. <laughs> I actually said that to one of my family members once. I said, you're apologizing for my emotional reaction? Do you need to see a therapist? You apologize for your <laughs> behavior, not my emotions. Because I don't feel apologetic about my emotions at all. I once dated a guy who, and I caught him cheating. And um, I broke up with him, and he um, he apologized to me. About six months later, um, he was dating a friend of mine, a casual friend, uh, who didn't really know the circumstances. I told my real friends that he was a dick face. Um, but, um, and we were, we were uh, at a dinner party, and um, he, I'd, I'd 
admit I'd had a few drinks and um, he apologized and he said that he was sorry for his behavior and that he was really immature and da 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 and um, I asked him I said are you apologizing to me because you're afraid I'm going to spread some ugly rumor about you or something or or are you just sorry that you got caught or, or what do you miss fucking me what's up <laughs> And he was like, um, um, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm really sorry. I said, look, I, I casually know this girl that you're dating. I'm not going to tell her that you're a dick face. She's going to have to learn that on her own. It won't take long. And then he said, it won't take long. It didn't take long. And he said, you don't miss me at all? I said, my new boyfriend's dick's bigger than yours. So, no, I don't miss you at all. <laughs> I'm set, baby. And he's like, he's looking at me like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. And I called the guy I was heading over, and I was like, replacement dick, meet old dick. <laughs> and the guy I was dating at the time laugh because I had told him before that um at, that I had upgraded <laughs> that he was my upgrade that's, that's a boost to a guy's ego you kind of hop on the side and go ooh I got an upgrade <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah then I got then I got taken home and epically laid because yeah I did get an upgrade <laughs> So, but yeah, you don't have to accept somebody's apology for their bad behavior in in life, in fandom. Um, It doesn't make you immature or um, you just, you know, or selfish. I've been called selfish for her using such an apology. Um, Your guilt's not my responsibility. But we live in a society where you're made to feel bad because you're making somebody else feel bad for their bad behavior. Like, how dare you make them feel guilt? I don't make anybody feel guilt. I know. I do you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. That's what people, that's what people act like, how dare you call me on my bad behavior now I feel bad. Well, I actually have people respond to me like that. I was like, well, now I feel bad. Like, like it's some sort of tragedy that I'm supposed to do something about that they feel bad? Like, Last time I don't feel bad. told me they felt bad in response to me calling them out, I told them to get a therapist. You need help, honey. It's like, oh, that's just more crazy than I can personally help you with. So, um... You know, you can see internet therapists now. You can do text therapy, phone therapy, Skype therapy. Whatever gets you through your damn day. I'm going to be perfectly honest here. I have more problems with male fans than I do female fans. 
I don't. But I don't write. I don't write. Um, het. Het. They were afraid so, of that. I have more problems with male het readers than I do any other demographic. There are some um, men, gay or bisexual men, who read my work who are fucking awesome. And then there are some het guys who read my stuff and they're perfectly fine. And then there's this large subset of het guys who think that I owe them a living, I guess. I don't know. I mean. Well, they act like you owe them a wank. Right? Dude, I'm not touching your dick. I'm married. They want. But even if I wasn't, I don't know where your dick has been. Well, they want you writing Hermione getting epically laid so that they can whack off. I mean, that's what's... Thinking about fucking Watson, you fucking perverts. Now, granted, I am essentially straight, and I thought about banging Emma Watson, but that, that is beside the point. It was a very respectful banging. She had a great time. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Emma as an adult. Yeah. I actually had a reader ask me if I was going to have if Phoenix would have explicit content now that I wasn't writing it from my niece. Ew. They're 14. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck? Well, she's 15, he's 14. Are you fucking serious? Are you fucking serious? And I didn't get a response to that. Then, you know, I have readers who try to um, uh, meander their way into finding out what I'm writing and when I'm going to post next and trying to build expectations, and I don't allow that. I stopped posting um, work-in-progress schedule. I stopped talking on my website about what I was working on. I stopped um, giving estimates on when things will happen, um, or at least concrete estimates, because people got bent. And no. But the thing that's the thing about that is rear expectations are part of the fandom paradigm. Like we have yeah. to manage them. Yeah. And like we have to set expectations. And I just you know, I used to try that too. I used to try to set expectations and meet it. But you know, if anybody's ever tried to set expectations around their around writing in general is difficult. But around around your hobby when you've got a real life and you know people who need you and tragedies that happen and not just tragedies but great. Sometimes you just want to go on vacation and not deal with your disappointed fans. I mean, talk about putting a damper on a vacation. It's disappointed fans. Come home from a vacation. I went on this um, lovely vacation to Cancun um, one time, and I came back to a bunch of, it just totally messed up my vacation afterglow, because I didn't read email while I was gone, um, to have a bunch of, like, oh, I'm like, all this sadness about stuff I hadn't posted while I was gone. I'm like, fuck you. I worked, I hadn't been on a proper vacation in, like, I don't know, a decade at that point. And 
And people just felt like that, you know, they don't know what's going on in my life because I'm not, I don't, I don't believe in the abuse of the author note. You know, I'm not going to post my life story in an author note about what's going on with everybody in my life, my cats, my dogs, and the vacations and my school papers. I just don't do that. Um, and, and my readers have no right to expect that from me. So, I mean, I don't tell people what's going on in my like, personal life. So I certainly didn't disclose that I was going out of town. And, um, you know, it's just that that kind of expectation. Just I was just so irritated that, that that's what I came home to. And I said something to one person, well, if I'd known you were going on vacation, I wouldn't have said anything. I'm like, you need to know. It's none of your damn business. It's nobody's business. Right? But I've discussed that part before, that there's this false sense of intimacy that develops between um, readers and writers. Um, and um, it's, uh, well, mostly it's, it's, it's one-sided because I don't have that <laughs> assumption of intimacy with any of my readers. <laughs> but a lot of times they they develop this, this um this notion that they know you and they have a right to know um, um, information about you and details about you. And um, no, you don't honestly need to know the results of my last pap smear. My cervix is none of your business. Oh, how dare you say that? I read all your work. Okay. (laughs) That was not an actual example, but you know what I mean? They're all up in your business. Yeah, well, there's also the help, you know. I mean, it's it's well-intentioned, okay, folks. I get it's well-intentioned, but the few times I've shared – now, there's stuff, I, there's stuff I share on Facebook that I do not share on my website by design because what Facebook is kind of – it's my social circle. These are my peeps. You know, I tell them stuff I don't share on my website. But it's our tribe. Um, I think you know, me and Headquarters is definitely that, our tribe. Yeah, it's my tribe. There are times that um, I've shared, you know, a personal thing or something in context. Uh, this is way back. And I get these helpful suggestions. Um, from strangers, it's like, okay, it can be very frustrating. I understand, understand it's well-intentioned. But I actually think I may have put in a status update fairly recently about something. Um, it was just kind of a thing of like just a kind of an offhand, and I wound up deleting it, but it, it was you know, kind of an offhand mention about it. And I got a bunch of emails about, um, have you tried this or tried that or tried this or heard that? And I was like, uh, I wasn't expecting that. Well-intentioned, but completely unnecessary because, you know, it's assuming that there's assumption made that I am not capable, I guess, of handling my shit. I don't know. Um but whatever, it, it's just, it, it's one of those things, it's like it just gets to be kind of, um, like you said, they get kind of all up in that. Have you been to a naturopath? <laughs> if I have or have not been, is absolutely none of your business. Let's see, I have a rheumatologist, I have a dermatologist, I have um, a hematologist, uh, I have an endocrinologist. Um, I have a general practitioner. I'm with you on all of those. And I have a surgeon. I literally have a surgeon. I am. I have been a frequent patient. 
enough that she actually has a file on me. If I have to have a surgery done, if it's general surgery, she's where I go. I mean, I call her and like, hey, I need to have this done. Let me get you in. I actually have a surgeon. I don't need people telling me to rub in essential oil. Oh, I also have a podiatrist. <laughs> I have always wanted a pet snake I also have a veterinarian but it's not for me it's for my dog I'm just saying I got my shit locked down sometimes I feel like I have all the ologists so it's very odd when somebody writes me and says do you have and I'm like have you seen (sighs) no 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 why in the world would I be acting like a responsible adult capable of handling her own business? I don't know. Oh, I also have an oncologist for, because of past issues. So I'm, I'm covered. I got all the ologists that I need. I don't need a numerologist or, um, <laughs> or a homeopath or a, a shaman. Um, although I do know I'd a take a shaman. I'd take a shaman. And um, I do know um, a, a pagan high priestess. Um, I like the voodoo priestess more. I'm just saying, I got my shit on lockdown. I'm good. I have essential oils. I I enjoy lavender um, for uh, for stress relief, and I have Australian tea oil that I use because apparently um, I didn't get enough acne when I was a teenager, so it's coming back. And Australian tea oil is awesome for that. It is excellent for menopausal acne. Just FYI. I have, I have some essential oils. I find, I find um, well, I, I used to use lemon essential oil for headaches, um, mild headaches, but I found just sniffing a lemon, cut lemon, is just as effective. Um but mostly they're for cleaning. I put them in the mop water. My sister likes the smell. <laughs> so I have them. I don't use them for what people advise me to use them for. Because I have, I have, I have, I'm a complicated morass of health problems with like 15 doctors on board. I don't put random crap in my body without talking to them first. Right. I'm on two medications to put random crap in my in my stuff. But on the tea tree oil, please don't send me an email telling me that it's toxic to dogs. I know. I am She's very careful with dog. my fur babies. I'm very careful with my fur babies. I treat them better than my husband. I'm just saying. But to talk about get back to paradigm when you whatever the whatever the because you'll find that there are paradigms that they're like little I will call them like micro paradigms in surprising places and one of them is very relevant to July there are a lot of assumptions and agreements about how Sentinel Guide universes work those are not rules folks they're not rules and my headcan doesn't have to be your headcanon. Um, 
the only the only basic it's not even a rule it's just a strong advisory is that whatever world you create it needs to be it needs to have internal consistency okay that's like a basic fundamental of world building is that you build in internal consistency um so but other than that um you don't you can you can you can work in um the structures that have been built, but you don't have to. And I think that was kind of one of the things we kind of had wanted to talk about a little bit is how to step away. Was not part of yeah. our agenda was how to step away from the paradigm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it actually, it's a little bit. It's a little bit of that whole. I hate. To, I hate trite words because the, we talked about this. Things that are pithy or trite, they sound, they sound good, but they can often because they're incomplete. Um, give you the wrong impression, and it's easy. Like like Kira's famous example of write what you know. How did you expand that? Learn everything you can about it, and then write what you know. Right. Yeah. So, which is much more practical advice than just write what you know. Um, otherwise, I mean, I I might be confined to you know like writing about the proper way to make a bed and how like literally no housekeeper I've ever worked with knows how to make a bed properly. But whatever. <laughs> um, She's got. Issues. I worked in a hotel. I know how to make a bed. <laughs> um, but the um, the one of the things we, that's easy to say but is a little bit too pissy is take what you like and leave the rest. And here's what's wrong with that. Taking the parts which you like and leaving the parts that make it make sense can create a problem for you. And I see people do this. We say, if you're going to take a piece, if you're going to take a piece of a structure, a piece of a puzzle, you have to take all the pieces that make that chunk make sense. You can't just take a piece here and a piece there that don't all go together and form something. So it's not really a case of take what you like and leave. Huh? Um, I have a question that's related. I have not actually watched um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, um, but someone Mm -hmm. on Facebook was watching it, and they were um, live live posting statuses while they were watching it, you know, sarcastic stuff. And at one mm-hmm. point, um, she had a post about um, where they had made it clear early on in the movie that Snape was helping protect the stone, but they removed his potion problem from the maze? Uh, they did say that. McGonagall said that, I think it was McGonagall who said to, to Harry that um, Snape was helping protect the stone, that he couldn't be trying to steal it. Um, and no, the potion was not in it wasn't there in the movie. And it should have been, right? So yes. this yes. also creates several other issues. It's characterization issues. When Harry trusted Hermione to figure that out for him, he literally put his life in her hands. So... That moment that passed between them is destroyed. Number one, mm-hmm. why mention it all that Snape was protecting them um, if his if his potion problem is no longer part of the, of the maze or whatever you want to call it the the, the quest because <laughs> it is a very classic quest down the 
dumb thing. Um, but it also destroys some characterization there because um, of the whole thing where, where where Harry puts his life in, in in Hermione's hands, where he trusts her intelligence. It is the beginning of of a relationship that will essentially keep him alive and until the very end. It establishes the fact that he does trust her to be to be right. So that when he pulls that note out of her hand in the chamber in the chamber of secrets and it's got a basilisk on it, he knows when he goes down there there's gonna be a damn basilisk. <laughs> there's there's not even a question in his mind that Hermione is right. Yeah. It's a pivotal moment and they just took it out. Destroyed which it. Which is exactly exactly the thing people do when you cherry pick and you can Again, it, it, it's the reason why I hesitate with the cavalier, take what you like and leave the rest, is because it's too cavalier. You can't cherry pick a detail that is dependent on other things and just move it without the things that it's dependent on. You know, when you pick up a problem, you pick up its dependencies, you, you pick up its um you pick up the things it's connected to. You know, it's like a web. You can't just pull one thread. So it's a question of, I mean, that's where the critical thinking comes in. It's like if I want this piece of Sentinel Guide world building, um, well, what what is what does that entail, you know? Um, and you, it's just it's a matter of you just kind of kind of got to think through that. So you don't have to use any of – a lot of the reason why – some concepts have become very entrenched in fanon is because they work together well and they've created a a logical internally consistent whole for the most part and um and they enrich canon you can, yes and they do enrich canon so you can take pieces of it or tweak pieces um, but they've they've kind of evolved that way. So if you don't, if you want to don't want to walk your own way, you want to do a reinterpretation. Of, it's like one of the things that's pretty easy to do is do a reinterpretation of spirit guides. But you need to really analyze how you're reinterpreting them. It's sort of like, are you making them 100% present? Are you making them not physically tangible? And think for the ramifications of that. But you can kind of jiggle the. And it's partially because it hasn't been as in, it's not such a critical detail as is some of the other aspects of the Sentinel and Guides are known universe fanon. So there are areas that it's easy to just bend to your will, to to your your wants, your mood, your needs of your story, and there are other things that are a little bit harder. And you have to really think through how you're going to abandon the fan and paradigm of the Sentinel and Guide Your Known Universe to make it your own. And this is one of the big flaws I have seen when people are trying to be original for the sake of being original, which actually I find to be really tedious, um, um, is that they're cherry-picking details and not picking up the dependencies. And they wind up with world-building that doesn't, doesn't make sense. Um, so there's ways to abandon the paradigm, and there are things you really should think through before you do it. 
Um, so as like an example is if you're going to have a Sentinels and Guides universe where you want Sentinels and Guides to be treated well, they're going to be present in reasonable numbers where they're not an oddity or some kind of weird genetic fluke that is enslaved to the government or disappears off the streets, where they're perceived in a positive way, to strip out any kind of support structure for them would be peculiar. You don't have to call it a Sentinel Guide Center. You don't have to call it anything that anybody's used before. But to there to be no, no support services no regulatory body, governing body of some sort that represents the interests of Sentinels and Guides would be potentially a hole in your world building. You don't have to walk the same path, but sometimes tropes evolve in the way they do because it covers most of the angles. I hope that makes sense and I'm not being too vague. Yeah, 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 it, it makes sense. Because you, unless you want to start at the bottom. Unless you want to start at the bottom and build that organization, um, which you really honestly cannot do in 15 to 20K, um, with a short challenge like um, what we do um, um, during, um, which is essentially boot camp um, in July, is uh, that the short challenge um, has has a built-in requirement that you need to um, quickly establish your world. And the best way to do that is to use elements of Fanon. If you want to write a longer work um, for a different challenge where you explore the creation of, of those protections and those laws and those organizations, that would be really cool and fun. I've seen quite a few of them in the Sentinelverse. But um, when it comes to a short story challenge, you need to um, establish your foundation really quickly. And in Fanon, you can, you can do that pretty easily. Yeah, that's where the established paradigms of Fanon and how Fanon and canon intermix and the tropes and all of that stuff in that particular type of universe, as Sentinels and Guides are known, that is, it help, that's where it helps you. But again, this is a case of where, you know, you can't, if you want to step away from it, just, just sort of like do it responsibly. Um and the same thing goes for any kind of fandom paradigm you want to step in. You've got to figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't hurt hurt you, first of all. Um, it's sort of like, you know, there are times that I understand what people are kind of rebelling against. It's like, I don't want to do things the way other people have done it. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to know. It's like they're, going to, they're sticking it to the man or something, although I don't know who the man is. And I don't know what it is that they're sticking it to when, let's we'll give my example of the person who put all their dialogue in block quotes. That just made the whole story an unreadable mess. Um, that was originality for the sake of originality. It accomplished nothing. Um, so why do it? You know? So there are format, general formatting standards, sort of loose standards for what, how you, how you, Format of the story, which is we don't use walls of text, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's you're not trying a to do on Rough Trade. I will edit your shit. <laughs> yeah, 
And, then, and you might get an email. You might get an email. Um, if you yeah, you, doing yeah, crazy you crap. will definitely get an email. Because I can't see it. I have OCD. This is my thing. You'll have to deal with it. Uh, participants of Rough Trade are aware of this. I will edit your shit if it doesn't look right. <laughs> Don't give her a wild text. Because if we see it, even if I'm not reading that story actively, why would, for starters, why would you want to limit the number of readers you're going to have? People who open your file and immediately go, no, because that's my reaction when I see a wall of text. I'm like, uh-uh, <laughs> no. I just close. It's a, it's, it's a wall of text is the fastest nope I do is because I don't need to read a word to know that that would drive me crazy. Um, my so, second fastest nope is the um, the number sign instead of quote marks. No. Yeah. So when you're when you want to step away from whatever the paradigm is, if it if it's the paradigm of your particular fandom, and let's say your fandom paradigm is that we bash this character, we don't bash that character, we we love this character, we hate that character. If you want to step away from that, you do you. But the most important thing when you are stepping away from this established conventions, whatever they are, the group, whatever the group think is, the group standards, the group assumptions, group behavior, group methodology, when you're stepping away from it, um, think about how it came to be and why it doesn't work for you and what you're going to do instead. You've got to apply some kind of critical thought here, okay? You can't pants your way through throwing, throwing the baby out with the bathwater <laughs> because... Um, it just isn't going to work in the end, usually. I think that um, sometimes I I look at my own work and um, I I honestly know I'm a I'm der- derivative of myself. I I like to explore the same themes and and um, over and over again. I really like to bash Weasleys and um, I get that about myself and I accept it. Um, That's one of the reasons I enjoy fandom so much is that I can um, indulge in um, obsessional um, writing tics that I have um, and no one really calls me on it. (laughs) It is what it is. And then when I step out of the box I endure a whole month of Oh well, this is great. Where's the original material? Where where's your source material? Oh, sigh. I can't believe I just said the word sigh. It was like I was typing in chat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like saying sad face. <laughs> sad face. Yeah. Sometimes um, we do though. I mean, but yeah. I mean, kind of corrupting us. I step out of the box and I write something. Um pretty unique I think um and different and um and hinted that they would like to see the source material like it never literally crossed their mind that it was my idea that there must be some fandom that I'm not mentioning some book that I read some movie that I saw that I didn't tag, that I didn't... It, when have I ever done that? Never. But, yeah. The first time I heard it, that you it, it, asked to see the source, the source material, 
I was I, my first thought because you know I'm kind of literal. Was they asked for your plot notes? That's really rude. <laughs> talk about it. Talk about entitled. <laughs> but you know what though, when I wrote synthetic, which I think is just that was just as interesting and, and as original as Revenant. Not one person asking for the source material. And I think it's because I shared a lot of my world building. Yeah, that could be. I think the on the, um, the Revenant idea is more dynamic than the synthetic verse that I built. Um, and it, it, it's, it's intriguing and it's fascinating to me. Um, and um, I'm going to get over myself. Julie's going to give me a beta read and I'm going to put it up on my site um, or alpha read. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, it was just so galling to have people repeatedly ask me, um, where the, um, where the, where I got the idea, like, like, it, like it wasn't mine, like I'd stolen it <laughs> because I hadn't listed an, another fandom or something. I don't know. It's it was it was it it was a blow. I I I don't normally um internalize stuff like that in fandom. So when I do, I I take it to a to a severe degree. Um like the whole Sentinel fandom thing. Um that that really punched me and to this day it it, it still annoys the shit out of me. Because um, I was really proud, I was really proud of the awakening. I thought um, that I did a great job with it, and um, and it uh, and to get basically, you know, bitch slapped by a big name fan because I didn't adhere to their fanon. It it was uncomfortable, and fuck you, and all that jazz. But also it it does linger in my mind and, and it has made it very difficult to write in that particular fandom. I have like seven works in progress for the Sentinel that will probably never see the light of day because of that writer. And when I was talking about earlier about responsibilities and, um, um, being a big name fan, um, against my will, um, that, that, that's what I'm talking about. That, that's the kind of power that you, that, um, that you end up having even if you don't want it. So I'm very careful when I speak to other writers. Um, I'm, I always have been. I do consider myself, um, I, have, I have mentored many young writers um, in reality, like in Meat Space. Um, I, I find that very rewarding. Um, and, um, and doing it in fandom and providing a safe space um, is, you know, it's just something that I feel, um, it's not an obligation, but it, 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 it's kind of difficult to explain. It just feels like it's something that, um, that I should do, you know? Well, I, I think in a way, I think it is a little bit, if you're conscientious, I do think it's a little bit of responsibility. Um, because it's like, whether you want it or not, if you have influence, there is, and you can't help if you have developed influence, um, that you have a responsibility about how you use that. Um, So, because whether you wanted it or not, 
you're wielding it even if you don't want to be. So how with everything we have, with every tool we have, whether everything we use in life, we have we have an obligation to to wield the things we we have in responsible fashion. And if you have developed influence, whether you wish you had or not, you have two options: do your thing anonymously under another name, or be judicious about how you use it. So, I mean, that's my opinion. So, I know some. Um, big name fans like to throw their weight around. Um, you know, I've heard people say things like, well, I won't read their work if they act that way. Fuck that. If I find it entertaining, unless you're like some like creepy rapist pedophile or something like that, I, I don't care about you. I, I'm going to be entertained. So if you want to be an asshole, I will just right? avoid you online. You know? The whole thing shit. about, well, I won't, I've had multiple people tell me they won't read my work because they think I'm an asshole. I'm like, oh, I actually told one person, I said, I'm like, me? You think I'm an asshole? Um, should I introduce you to some people? Is she that person that your... was confusing the two of us? No, nice that lady does not. She was really nice. She's, I'm pretty sure she probably still thinks that. Because <laughs> every once in a while, I do get a message, dear Kira. I'm like, I've given up. <laughs> I'm giving up. Dan. I think she has to be trolling me. Either she's a complete dodo or she's trolling me. Um, but no, I had somebody in um, the group said that they wouldn't read my work because I'm not nice. Um, uh, they didn't say I was an asshole because you're not allowed to call people assholes over there. But she said that I'm not nice and she wouldn't read work, my work. And I was like, oh, the that group. group. Oh, that group. Yeah, and that I'm, I'm like, a member uh, of only so I can make fun of people. Uh, okay. Yeah. In my head, like, not like online. Right. I'm I was get, like, I'm your bar is set really in a strange place if you think I'm the biggest asshole in this conversation. I I don't, maybe, I'm not trying to be an asshole about being nice, because I don't kind of think of myself as being super nice, but I tend to be polite. Right. So, but you know what? A lot of people I don't think that if you don't agree with them, that they're that that you're rude. Yeah. Seriously, they think if you don't agree with them that you're rude. Indeed. And if she thinks you're an asshole, she she hasn't really honestly met me. Because you're the nice I tend one. To say, there's some there are some people that you you need to meet because um hmm. Your meter's broken. We need to fix this. Their meter is broken. I mean, come on. The thing is, I, 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 I'm just, I'm not ever rude in that group because it would get me kicked out. But, and it is entertainment value. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just. Don't take away my train wrecks. I can't deal. Right? I mean, sometimes you just, you go over to that group and you just look, really? People think this? This is where flat earthers come from. That's where, um, what was it about? Something like fan readers, readers or currency or what are they? Something like that? What was yeah. that comment about? It was, um, your readership readers is your and comments is um, the currency that you earn in, 
in fandom or something like that. Yeah. And that you have to be polite to your fans because readership is, 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 is a commodity of some sort. And I was just kind of like, Ugh, whatever. Shut up. I mean, I didn't say, Oh, shut up. But I, I felt, I felt, Oh, shut up deep down in my bones. Yeah. Well, I'm the asshole that made my site members only for a whole year just to be a bitch. So, um, Probably not the one to have a discussion with about how readers are <laughs> a commodity. Because <laughs> I cut my website off to like everybody but like 13,000 people that were already members. <laughs> and that was it. They were the only ones that could read. And I regret nothing. Making your work private is is a violation of the fandom paradigm because um, when I had work when I had rough trade lockdown, I got several comments from writers who were like, "I just I, I don't feel comfortable posting my fiction if it's not going to be available to the public." I didn't have rough trade's membership lockdown. I just had to post lockdown and you had to be a member to read, and she was genuinely uncomfortable. Of course, readers lost their mind. What do you mean I have to fucking log in to read free fix? But yeah, Rough Trade obviously isn't locked down anymore because um, the, the plugin I was using to do it with just got really um, difficult and, and bullshitty. And then, you know, I stopped being an asshole about locking my own site down, so I unlocked Rough Trade as well. But uh, it, you know, um, there is this thing about. Uh, uh, hiding your work or, or making it um, available in such, you know, just one way or taking your work and going home. Um, sometimes I've seen people basically imply that if a writer leaves fandom, that they don't have the right to complain about what happens to their work. Or like that girl on AO3 who took a break came back and posted a sequel to her work and her readers lost their mind because somebody else had wrote a sequel to this woman's work and they liked it better. And by her post to her own work, they had made the other girl's sequel non-canon. So she took her sequel down. I want to stab people. Uh. Right? That's just, yeah. I mean, we, we've talked before about how I got in a big fight with somebody about the unauthorized continuation of work. Um, you know, and there was the whole hypocrite discussion. Um, me being the hypocrite. Because I, I don't understand why. I mean, Kira gets bitch. I get hypocrite. <laughs> I don't understand where this is coming from. Um, You're the best bitch I know. I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I get hypocrites thrown at me like like on a regular basis. It's so annoying. Um, but the hypocr- hypocrisy was I had just put a comment that there's a comment on several of my stories, the shorts, that they're not up for adoption. And apparently that was like a sin to say that. Um, and, in, 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 and in telling me, she also did tell me that I was derivative and an unoriginal. 
in order to tell me that I didn't have any right to tell people they can't adopt my works. Um, but, you know, it's just that is now that is part of the fandom paradigm. It's part of it as well is the whole concept of there are some agreed upon behaviors that, um, the like overarching thing is that you don't continue someone's work without their permission. Um, that you typically attribution for ideas and stuff is considered um, is considered you know giving credit to inspiration is considered polite the polite acceptable thing to do it's not a rule but it's considered acceptable so there are some like a kind of a paradigm for code of conduct and one of the things is, is if somebody doesn't want you to write a continuation of their work that you don't do it. Um, Nobody can stop you. That is absolutely true. But considering how pervasive that concept is in fandom and how it, it really is part of the fandom paradigm, it is the rebels who have stepped outside of the paradigm and gone, well, look at what fandom is. You have no right to tell anyone that they can't do whatever they want with anything you've written. And that's their mentality. They're challenging the paradigm. Whether they're right or wrong is completely irrelevant. I choose to operate under that group, that that group set, that set of expectations and behaviors where we don't do that kind of thing. So I will continue to make my preferences known, knowing that I cannot stop people from doing whatever it is they're going to do. That's just the way the world works. I have an excerpt um, called "The Pale Horse," and it's been on EID for a very long time, and. Someone asked me if um, – I've had several people ask me this, actually, and um, one at, one person asked me last year, if year before last, if they could um, take it and finish it. And I said no. And she said, what will you do if I do? I said, if you take my work and finish it and post it, I will accuse you of plagiarism. And if that's the road you want to take in the Stargate fandom, you go right ahead. Because I might be a little author in a lot of fandoms, but in Stargate, I'm a big one. And you can't get away with plagiarizing my work in Stargate. You can probably, you know, actually, I had someone um, accuse, there was a inspired by scene in a story in Harry Potter, and someone picked it up and pointed it out to me, um, and it wasn't a big deal. But I don't think that any writer could actually plagiarize me in Stargate and get away with it. I would, I would be told multiple times. <laughs> someone posted an e-book of um, one of my fix in a Yahoo group, and I got 15 emails within an hour of it being posted in the file section. But if that's yeah, what you want to take, if, if you want to be accused of plagiarism um, by me, you go right ahead. You do you. Yeah, Claire, Claire, Claire says authors have limited power to enforce the rules. It doesn't mean they don't have the right to make the rules about their work. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, if it's outright plagiarism, I'm pretty sure I could get AO3 to take it down. Yeah, if they they would have to actually post your part of Pale Horse, um, right, for it to be plagiarism, and and then AO3 would take it down if you can prove plagiarism. So, and Fanfiction.net takes down plagiarist plagiarized stories as well. Um, it's a case of you know, because a lot of times when people are doing these continuations, these unauthorized continuations. What is it? There's something like there's just one story that was very popular on fanfiction.net in the Harry Potter universe that like 10 different people finished the story because the author vanished one day. I guess they had a lot going on in their lives or something. I don't know. I don't know really the history of it. Um, and a bunch of people finished the work. Um, they didn't repost it. They all just po- posted a link back to the original. I find that to be really dodgy behavior. Um, if an author hasn't put up their work for adoption, um, but like, you know, this is where people write me and call me a hypocrite because they go, well, isn't, isn't that basically what you're doing um, when you write fan fiction is you're continuing somebody else's work. You're writing new storylines and da, 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 da based on their work. Well, I can't argue with that. Um, and I will, if someone asks me that, I'm like, you can, you can write fan fiction about my work if you want to. Yeah, you can write fan fiction about it. Yeah, you can't continue it. So, um, I can't legitimately publish Harry Potter and the way it should have happened, <laughs> book eight. <laughs> yeah, but I can write fan fiction about it. And if you want to write fan fiction of my fan fiction, you go right ahead. Yeah. I don't got a problem with that. Don't expect me to read it or like it or link it. Now, there are, I will tell you folks, just as, just as kind of an aside about you know, part of the way fandom works is people are protective of the writers they like. So if you're inspired by somebody else's idea and you're one of those people who feels like they're allergic to giving credit, Sometimes ideas, say similar ideas, form completely independently. I don't remember what, what rough trade it was, but I was talking to two different people. I was talking to them independently, and they both came up with very similar ideas for rough trade at almost the same time. And I was like, wow. And it was a pretty original idea, but I got to have these conversations where I saw very similar ideas kind of organically form with two different people. And it was a little bit of a head scratcher, but it happens. Um, but if the, there are people who are just allergic to admitting that they received inspiration from somebody else. And um, if you're one of those people, know that you're not getting away with anything. Just because I don't read your work or whatever writer it is that you're lifting the ideas from um, may not read your work. They know, and how do they know? Because their fans tell them. Yeah, there's now, a piece of fiction I people- on AO3 that the author went out of their way to explain how it wasn't inspired by my work. And one of their readers is also my readers who took the ha- who took <laughs> the initiative to copy and paste all the parts of her story that were inspired by mine and send it to me in an email yeah i mean i get i get it happens almost every week 
that I get an email from one of my NCIS readers that goes, this person lifted your idea, or have you read this? This seems really close to something you wrote, or um, I was just reading this. Sometimes it's the same story multiple times. And I'm like, well, I haven't read it. I haven't read it. I'm not going to read it unless they're actually copying it. And I just say, always you know, crediting your inspiration source is always the polite thing to do, but please don't engage with them on this because, you know, um, using somebody else's ideas is not plagiarism, and please don't use that word because unless they're actually quoting me word for word or have picked up full sections of my story verbatim, um, it's not plagiarism. I mean, there was one story somebody wrote me about. It was, it was everything but word for word plagiarism. They changed the pairing, but it was the, the scene advanced line for line in the exact same fashion. Um, and the difference was every line was rewritten to a degree. It was as close to plagiarism as you can get without actually being plagiarism. I mean, there's no way these two stories occurred independent. Of I would have responded um, with, you're welcome. <laughs> But people wrote me about it, and they said, I think they stole your idea. And I was like, well, they certainly mirrored it. Yep. Um, it's not plagiarism, though, so just leave it alone. But the thing is, you're not. there's no way that it's going to get by me for get by for long. But every once in a while, I do go and read the thing. And I also just kind of roll my eyes. Um, every once in a while, I get really um, – I have had those moments where I get really snarky and I go, oh, I wish you lifted more of my idea. I might be able to read this. <laughs> <laughs> How could you steal this idea? How could you have just picked up more of it? This might be tolerable. Um, sorry, that was really bitchy. I just hate <laughs> the pairing. The pairing was great. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but, you know, the thing is people tell. They tell because they're very protective of the writers they like. Um now, conversely, I have been on the on the other end of it. I have gotten accusations of lifting other writers' ideas. Um, and to one person, it was a rough trade story that I had finished, I think, a year or two after the rough trade was over. And the person had accused me of lifting so-and-so's idea. And I went back and I went to go look at the story. And I agree conceptually they were similar. And I wrote back, I said, well, this story was published – a month before the version I have up online, this is true, but my my story was written for rough trade back in this date, so perhaps you should direct your accusations elsewhere. And I said, and there's plenty of documentation and there's evidence that when I wrote my story, even if it's not on rough trade anymore. So I, I went through, when I first got into, back into fandom, writing NCIS, I did get a lot of accusations Um you did this, you did that. Um, Do you think it's because you, you came out of the gate so big and so polished? Maybe. Maybe. Um, there was also, I think the first Sentinel Guide story I did um, was the worst of it, was the journey home, the proper Sentinel Guide story, which was my second story, was the worst of it. And I, I was using a lot of fandom tropes, and I think that a lot of people had only ever read your Sentinel Guide work. So they thought oh God, I was lifting all of your ideas. Of copying me? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Why didn't you tell me? That's so funny. That's hilarious. Julie can totally steal my ideas. When I when Lady I lift Karen's ideas, ideas, 
Azure can steal my ideas. But when it when it comes to actually borrowing Kira's ideas, I you know I give inspira- I have no problem giving inspiration credit. I would have a hard the, my 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 most classic example of the accusation was stealing your idea for prides. And I kind of head tilted, tip my head back and forth, and I was like, "What?" And so I just sent them a link to a bunch of fanfics that had pride in it that, that predated your entree into fandom and told them to kiss my ass. So, um, <laughs> kiss my ass. Too. I was like, if I borrow, if I buy an idea, borrow an idea from somebody, I'm going to definitely, if, if I've never seen it anywhere else. Um, now I did one time give attribution credit to the person that inspired me. And somebody of course had to write me and tell me that, um, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so had done it before this person. I was like, I don't give a flying fuck. I haven't read their work. So, um, it didn't inspire me because I didn't read it. Right, so I, I give the attribution to the person who, who inspired me. Um, so, you know, if, but Kira, Kira has actually, she's even like, when I've, we've been brainstorming, she says, oh, I had this idea for such, and I haven't used it yet, but you're welcome to use it if you want. And I just, you know, I'll put it right there in my, in, my, in, the, in, the, in the author, in my notes, you know, Kira, let me borrow this idea. She, you know, because she's very generous about that. Um, and I am not allergic to giving credit. So if I was, I, you know, if I was lifting an idea from her, I would have um, said something. And the funny thing about it was because I had read The Awakening when I did The Journey Home. Um, and I, had, I believe I had read Sentinels and Guides of Atlantis at that point. I was actually trying to not be, not mimic some of the stuff that she had done that to me was unique that I hadn't seen anywhere else. I was trying too hard not to do that. So the accusation, so the things people were picking up on, I was like, are you on dope? I mean, really, are you on dope? Is is this is this uh, something? Really, but I was. It, I just found it more befuddling um, than anything else. But the accusations <laughs> died off after about a year and a half or so. People stopped accusing are me, and they started doing the opposite. Yeah, people started doing the opposite and sending me helpful so and so's copy emails. You know. Um, which is great. I mean, I would rather get the heads up about actual plagiarism, but unless somebody's using my actual words, it's not plagiarism, and it's not a. It's not the a. The scene in question is that Harry is, is a dragon animagus, and he's a dragon animagus in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, and McGonagall is um, just checking out his form, and she asks him to show him to show her his teeth, and that happens in. Um, Harry Potter and Soulmate Bond, and it happened in this book, um, in in a very similar way. But I don't think it was outright creative borrowing. I think it was more of a this person has read my work a lot, you know, because it, it it didn't feel like plagiarism. It felt like um, absorption. Because so, sometimes yeah. you absorb things that people do and people, you know, ways people write and phrases they use, um, and you don't even mean to, and it comes out in your own writing, and that's natural. That is perfectly um, reasonable and, and even expected. Um, but it's not, it's not plagiarism. Plagiarism Honestly, is the same, but the names are changed. Would question a person who's transformed. Let me see your anatomy. Let me see what's going on. Did, did you get the teeth right? Did you get the nostrils right? Did you get the ears right? Can you fly? Are your wings stable? You know, stuff like that. That's just the kind of thing that you would ask 
if you were a transfiguration teacher to someone who's just transformed for you? Can you control this new body that you're in? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I... For Nora Roberts infected me with the word huff. I For a while there, all my characters were huffing out of breath, and I got that from her. And I'm like, oh my god, of all the things I could have picked up, it had to be that? Why couldn't it be the sexy Irishman? <laughs> I'm pretty, And I'm pretty sure I picked it up from you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I should go back and that. check my older writing and see if I use the word huff anywhere. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I used huffy. I've used huffy before. Um, yeah, you must feel huffy about it. I'm pretty sure I've... Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've used that that turn of phrase. Huff. Yeah, there there was a whole lot of fucking huffing going on. But, um, yeah, and I actually binge-read the entire J.D. Robb series um, uh, the first of the year, including the novellas. Total, I think. That's dedication. I know. Well, I spent a lot of time in the hospital during that time. Um, not for me personally, but for the I, um, I actually I am hope trying to get Smirk out of my work because Smirk is ugly, and I I'm really trying to get it out of my work because it's um, characters when they smirk, it's malicious. It's not a grin. It's it's not a it's not a it's 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 not a happy expression. It's malicious. Yeah, um, a, a smirk is a very specific type of conceited or smug half smile, and it's not. Um, it's not. It's not. It's not a nice, friendly smile. But the thing is, people have interpreted the word smirk to mean a half smile, and or a you know, I've gotten in debate. Right, I've got into horrible debate debates people about the proper use of the word smirk, and they'll tell me that people understand that it's a half smile. I'm like, I don't. I don't understand why your character is smirking. So, no, not all people. People who understand the meaning of the word don't get it. Um, so, But it's one of those things that's becoming so corrupted by um, fandom, quite frankly, and their twisting of words to be things that they're not that I only use it uh, pretty much if somebody's smirking in one of my stories it's probably a villain or if it's if it's a good guy it, they're smirking at a villain so right um, so I'm trying really hard to get out of my writing because I do think that I picked it up from somebody else I'm just not sure who I picked it up from yeah smirking all these characters smirking it just I'm like why are they smirking um, that has come up in so many, like way back early, early beta days, it came up so frequently with me as I'd be like, why is this character smirking? What about the situation warrants a smirk? And they'd be like, well, you know, it's like a half smile. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, well, how do you write no, a friendly not. half smile? You just say half smile. Gentle half smile, friendly half smile, amused, whatever. Pick your half smile, but it's not a smirk. Even an amused grin would be better than a smirk. Yes. But yeah, I um, I'm trying to get smirk out of my language, and I don't know. I honestly don't know where I picked yes. it up from. Yes, good example, Dark. That is a perfect smirking. Draco does smirk a lot in canon in the movies. He smirked a lot, and it was 
smug. Um, it was a smug thing with him, and like you said, I got one over on you. It's like a ha ha. <laughs> I've been known to smirk. I will smirk, and I mean it just the way I'm supposed to. But Harry yeah, I'm smirking at Hermione. No, well, like she's smirking back at them because they killed somebody, and there's a body between them. <laughs> Ziva does smirk. I agree. Or when your characters are having a loving moment in bed, this is when it kills me. This is when it absolutely throws me right out of the scene. Is your characters having a loving, romantic, smushy moment? I love you, and then a smirk. It's like, um, mm-hmm. well, that scene is really an inappropriate response to "I love you." But yes, I agree. Can, canonically speaking, Ziva, Draco, good examples of characters who in canon smirk. Excessively, a lot. Perhaps. Tim I McGee also smirks Star quite a bit. Wars, when Leia tells um, Han Solo that she loves him and he says, I know, he's kind of smirking about it. That, that was kind of smirky. It is. It was dickish. Smug and conceited. There was, That's exactly there was no the saying that he would survive that. He had no idea he was going to survive that. And those were going to be his last words to her? Dick face. I mean, it's an iconic line, but he's still a dick face. <laughs> he's a total dick face. <laughs> we're down to a minute. Um, You guys have an awesome weekend. I don't know if we'll be around to do a podcast tomorrow. I have to go do stuff with my mother, but I I should be home by nine. Who knows? Who knows? Do you have plans to have a life tomorrow? Hell no. (laughs) Okay, then. Say goodnight. Goodnight, everyone.